0: Hey, good morning, City Light. Wow, we're awake. I got some work to do. We're going to get this off the ground. Okay, hey, I'm glad you're here. I don't know if you're glad you're here, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors of City Light, and uh, it's Bible time. Anyone love the Bible here? Yes. All right, we got some verses. We're going to hear from God. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Uh, which Elena just read for us. Thank you. Uh, We're in verses 51 through 62, and I want to preach a sermon titled, Make a Beeline. Make a Beeline. And I want to start by asking you a question. What is the compass by which you direct your life? What for you is of chief and ultimate importance? Uh, What is the scorecard that you use to evaluate, am I going the right direction? Am I doing the right things? Am I on pace and on track for where I want to be? How do you know if you're headed the right direction? Uh, A lot of people live their lives directionless, Where are you going? I don't know, but I'll tell you when I get there, right? We just kind of wander till we end up somewhere and we say, I guess, well, I guess this is where I was supposed to be. Uh, My one-year-old son has a motorized plastic cat toy. And this cat toy will set off in one direction until it senses a wall or an obstacle in its path. And then it will turn like 45 degrees and it'll head another direction until something comes in its way. And then it will turn 45 degrees and go another direction. And it will literally do this until the batteries run out. That's what it's designed to do. Some people live their lives that way. We just go, I hit something, well I guess I wasn't supposed to go there. We'll try this. I guess I wasn't supposed to go there. We go this direction until our batteries run out. We hit the end of our lives and we say, well, I guess this is where I was supposed to be. Uh, Other people do have uh, a North Star, the proverbial North Star. What's direct meaning? But it's oftentimes misguided. Maybe for some it's it's achieving influence and affluence. It's being uh, respected and noticed for some. Uh, My whole goal in life is just to fly under the radar. (laughs) If I never get noticed, that is my north star. Whatever it is, I want to ask you, what is it for you? What is your proverbial north star? What is the orienting principle that guides your entire life, every decision you make? City Light, as we look at chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke this morning, I want to press in that for us, it's very easy to be directionless. It's very easy to be misguided in our lives, but what I want for us, City Light, is to be a church single-mindedly set on following Jesus, with a sense of urgency, with a sense of priority, that Jesus, in his life, death, burial, resurrection, mission for our lives would be paramount above everything and everything else in our lives. And the big idea for this morning is this, because Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, we can confidently set our faces towards him. Uh, I want to work with this phrase for a second called set his face. We're going to see it two times in the first two verses that we're going to look at this morning. And uh, I think in our context, we can miss a little bit of the gravity of that statement. This phrase, to set your face towards something, is a Hebrew idiom. Okay, It means a single-minded determination to accomplish a task. It means to make a beeline. It means to make a a uh, to go straight at something. To make a do not pass go, do not collect two hundred dollars commitment to getting toward a destination. And so, as we look at our text this morning, I want to take a look at two B lines. Number one, I want to see the single mindedness of Jesus to go toward to Jerusalem and toward the cross. When he came, he knew his mission. He knew why he came, and he came to accomplish one thing. His ultimate destination was. The cross and he made a beeline. And we're also going to take a look at Jesus extending an invitation to us, saying, Friends, you're directionless. Let me give you some direction. And we're going to hear the urgent call to discipleship, wholehearted discipleship towards Jesus Christ, that there would be no other priorities, that there would be no other number ones, but then following the Lordship of Jesus Christ would be the orienting principle of our lives. And City of Lot, I want that to be true of us. We're going to see it in our text this morning. We're going to press it in, but uh, really quick, before we get into our verses, let me give you a little context of Luke chapter 9. We've been in uh, this Luke series for seven weeks. It brings us to chapter 9 this morning, and this is a hinge passage in the book of Luke. Okay, from the beginning, chapter 1 up until now, our author, Dr. Luke, his main priority has been communicating who is Jesus. Who is this man? Right, so we start with his birth account, the miraculous uh, incarnation and birth account of Jesus. We um, see Doctor Luke detailing his um, uh, his identity at his baptism. Right when the heavens open up as he comes up out of the water, the Father speaks down, "This is my Son. He is who is he? Is the Son of God." With him I am well pleased. We see him in the wilderness overcoming temptation and the devil. We see him uh, reaching out to sinners. We see him forgiving sin. We see him challenging the status quo of the religious institution. Uh, We see him um, healing the sick. We see him raising the dead, right? Everything Luke has been doing is answering the question, who is this man? And he's painting a picture of who this is. And all of it comes to a culmination in verse 20. When he asked Peter the most important question that any of us will ever answer in our lives, and that's this question. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who is this Jesus? And Peter answered, verse 20, the Christ of God. The Christ means the anointed one. It means the one, the chosen one, the one that all the rest of the pages of Scripture have been pointing to, that he is the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, the appointed one to come and save. And Peter nails it. Most of the time he gets it wrong. In this instance, he gets it right. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He is the one who has come. And now... um, we're going to see a shift in Paul's tone. Now that we've established who Jesus is, we're going to take a look at the mission that he's come to accomplish. If his identity is Savior, how is he going to save? What is his mission? As he marches towards Jerusalem, is he going to go and set up a, a political institution? Is he going to build a megachurch, get himself a helicopter and a perm? Try that thing. People have done it. Is he going to go start a new not-for-profit organization in the city? How is he going to save? We know who he is. What is his mission? It says he sets his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross. We're going to see a turning point in the text where we see Jesus marching towards Jerusalem, marching toward the cross where he would save by being captured, where he would give us life by his own death. We're going to see Jesus making a beeline for the cross. And uh, in our text, we're also going to meet three characters at the end of our uh, chapter today. The last six verses, we're going to meet three would-be followers of Jesus, where Jesus extends the invitation, I'm headed toward Jerusalem, I'm headed toward the cross for you, would you follow me? Would you surrender everything and come and follow me? And we see all of these three would-be followers of Jesus say, yes, I would follow you, but not as first importance. Uh, I'll squeeze you into my schedule. I have a beeline that I'm uh, pursuing right now, and Jesus, I'll fit you in. I'll welcome some religiosity. Uh, I'll welcome some good, religious, feel-good sentiment into my life, but I can't quite make you a priority. And in meeting these three men, I I think we're going to see a mirror, perhaps, into our own hearts. And so as we look at Jesus' beeline to the cross for us, I also want us to look at these three men and ask the honest question, Jesus, How do I calibrate true north on my compass? Where am I headed? Are you my priority? Uh, Or are you second place, third place, secondary, tertiary in my life? And so let's get into our verses this morning. Before we get to us, let's get to Jesus. Amen? Let's take a look at the picture of Jesus that we see in this text. Chapter 9, we're going to start off in verse 51. It says this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, it's referring to Jesus' crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and then ascension, taken up, that's where he's headed, he set his face, there's our phrase, to go to Jerusalem. That's the hinge. He's journeying now. Verse 52, And he sent messengers ahead of him, ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward jerusalem there it is again verse 54 and when his disciples james and john saw it they said lord do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them it's a good question verse 55 but he turned and rebuked them 56 and they went on to another village that's a fun text lots to do there but uh number one let me say this I i want to hone in on this phrase that he set his face toward jerusalem um Uh, We've already talked about what that means, his beeline towards a mission. But what does it mean to set his face towards Jerusalem? It means two things. Number one, it means very literally, very practically, he is geographically orienting himself to get to the city of Jerusalem. He's saying, I got to get there. And so Jesus is beginning the same annual journey that he has been making since he was born. It's the Passover pilgrimage where he would join. He, He grew up as a Jewish man in Galilee, the northern region of Israel, Uh, Every year in the spring before Passover, they would journey down around the area of Samaria into Judea, into the capital city of Jerusalem. And so when it says that he set his face towards Jerusalem, he's beginning this journey that he's been making ever since he was a little boy. And so they would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Passover being the celebration that the people of God would celebrate to remember when God delivered them. Uh, out of slavery from the hands of the Egyptians where they had been enslaved for 400 years and they would celebrate our God delivers our God saves us our God sets us free and it was it would be at the temple at Passover that they would sacrifice an animal it would represent the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins Jesus has done this every year his entire life and so in our text it's springtime Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem he's got his entourage with him and they are headed to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration And in verse 52, it says that he sent messengers ahead of him into a village in Samaria. Okay? Um, Very practically, it means this. Jesus has a big group of followers at this point. He's got the 12 disciples. He's got the 72 disciples and followers. Additionally, uh, there's many other people likely journeying with him. It's probably more than 100 people that are a part of his group of travelers in this time. And he's going through a region with a lot of small towns. And so... um, uh, for an illustration, when I grew up in, in high school, I was in band. Any other band nerds? Hey, we rule the world, all the jocks, you know. Uh, sorry, Chris, but we can spell words, and these things go better for us. So band kids, so we would. <laughs> you can still make a three, though. It works out real well for you. Very helpful in life. Um, I'm just bitter because I'm not coordinated. I was in band, so we would go on band trips, and our band was big, Class B school, lots of band nerds in Waverly, and so we'd often have two buses. It might be 80, 100 people, and we would go through a small to medium-sized town, and if we needed to stop at a McDonald's, we'd likely call ahead. We didn't have cell phones then, 1996, so before we left our town, we'd call and say, hey, we've got 100 kids coming through, some buses, do you have enough cheeseburgers, is there enough staff? Enough seats? Can you accommodate us? That's what Jesus is doing. He sends some messengers ahead. Hey, there's about 100 folks coming. We're, we're headed to Jerusalem. We're with Jesus. Can you, can you put us up? Verse 53 says that because Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem, they did not receive him. In other words, they said, no. Who's coming? Jesus? Where's he headed? Jerusalem? No. Absolutely not. We're not putting them up. No cheeseburgers. No room. We don't want them in our town. Why? Uh, quick cultural note: the Samaritans and the Israelites were not friends. Okay, there was a cultural difference here. The Israelites were the quote-unquote purebred. They had followed the laws of the Old Testament. They uh, maintained the original temple and the original place where it was first established. Uh, the Samaritans were. We're kind of this halfway committed Israelites that had intermarried with pagan folks. They've set up their own temple. They've set up their own theology. They've set up their own rules and way of life. And there's great animosity between these two cultural Difference, uh, differences here, these two different groups of people. And so uh, traditionally, uh, the Jewish people would travel from Galilee to Jerusalem, and they would extend their uh, journey by several days, maybe weeks, through the wilderness uh, at the risk of wild animals to avoid going through Samaria. But Jesus says, let's make a beeline. Let's head right to the city I need to get there. And, uh, but they don't let him go through. But can we take just a minute and appreciate verse 54? I've always wanted to preach this. It's just a great verse. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's fantastic. <laughs> Jesus, they're not going to let you go. Let's firebomb them. I mean, that's, that's commitment. That's, that's passion there. Uh, Jesus, his nickname, these two disciples, the sons of thunder. You can see why, right? These are the turn and burn, turn and burn guys. You gonna follow Jesus? No. Bring the fire bombs. That's truth, brother. It's truth. Okay, Jesus or fire. These guys knew their Old Testament. They're likely referring to a time in the Old Testament when a prophet named Elijah called on heaven, who brought down fire from heaven uh, to eliminate an enemy king and fifty of his and uh, fifty of his men. And they're simply saying, "Jesus, can we do that thing? You remember that verse? Can we do that? Can we do that now? We've been wanting to do that the whole time. Let's fire bomb them. It says." Uh, But 55 says, but he turned and rebuked them. In other words, guys, chill out. Chill out, okay? Simmer down. Uh, You you can appreciate James and John. No one's going to say they lack faith, amen? No one's going to say they don't have Jesus' back. I think we could all use a friend like James or John. They've got your back. But Jesus is simply saying, uh, this is not the season of damnation. This is not the season of judgment. This is a mission of salvation. I'm on a beeline. We're not going to rain down fire. We're going to get to Jerusalem. And it says that they went to another village. Jesus was making a beeline. He had one mission, one direction, one commitment, and it wasn't to get caught up in a cultural dispute. It was to make it to Jerusalem. So number one, he's headed to Jerusalem. That's what it means. He's setting his face towards Jerusalem. Number two, this idea of his beeline towards Jerusalem, setting his face towards Jerusalem means he was not only headed to the city, he knew that he was headed ultimately to the cross. Jesus knows that for for 32, 33 years, he's made this annual journey. He knows in his heart of hearts this is the last time he will make the annual pilgrimage with his friends. Uh, For 30 years, he's visited the temple. uh, Every Passover, he's seen the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, and he knows Every lamb he's seen slaughtered, every pigeon that has been sacrificed, every blood spilt from an animal, uh, various forms of livestock have all been foreshadowing, all representative, all porting towards the blood that in a matter of weeks now he would go forth and shed. The ultimate, the real atonement for sins, the Son of God nailed and crucified on the cross. He says in verse 22, for the very first time he announces to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. There was no question in Jesus' heart, where am I headed? What's the journey that I am setting out on? His face was set towards Jerusalem and ultimately the cross. This is why he came. Was he a great teacher? Yes. Did he perform miracles? Yes. Is this why he came? He came to go to the cross. He lived that he might die for you and for me. And City Light, this is where I want to press this in. Before we get to the other three would-be followers of Jesus, we need to see the heart of our God in his first prototypical his first pursuit of us that he is the initiating character in this story and in all of the gospel narrative you need to see that Jesus is the one who made a beeline for us he is the one who came and pursued us when we were not pursuing him when we were pursuing sin, foolishness folly and and, and our ultimate destruction he is the one who came chasing after him when we were running in a thousand other directions he came to the earth face set toward Jerusalem and he made a beeline for the cross. And so before Jesus asks us to give up our lives, to lay down our priorities, to submit our preferences to him, our agendas, he first sets his face to Jerusalem where he would literally lay down his life for you. Do you see, it all starts with him. It's about what Jesus has done and not us. It is the good news of this passage. God is not a God who barks down order. Surrender your life to me or I'll rain down fire from heaven. He's a God who came down and said, first, let me surrender my life for you. First, let me be beeline. First, let me make a single-hearted mission toward the will of the Father through the obedience of the Son so that you could be made right with God. That's the gospel. I was saved when I was six, 16 years old. I read the story of good news for the very first time, and I placed my faith in Jesus. And the moment of salvation for me was not when I committed to living my life for God. The moment of salvation for me was when I realized that God came, lived, died, rose again for me. It was about what he had done. Place my faith in Jesus, and he saved me. That's the gospel. That's the news. Jesus saves. He set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face towards climbing up to a cross to reconcile you and me to God and to forgive our sins. That was his single-minded, soul-focused, beeline mission, and it all starts there. That's the good news. Jesus is the one who ultimately makes a beeline. Now listen to this. The invitation Of Jesus for you and for me then is to make a beeline towards wholehearted discipleship towards him Not that we would earn our salvation not that we would merit his approval But i'm telling you this the only appropriate response to the sacrifice that jesus has made is that we would be his uh, That we would be his disciples Wholehearted single-minded pursuing him with everything we have first priority Savior and lord. Let's jump back into our verses understanding the good news of what Jesus has done. I want to meet these three characters now. And uh, we're going to meet three guys that are invited to follow Jesus. But for them, there's some secondary, tertiary priority. And I want to take a look at these dudes one person at a time. Let's start with guy number one, uh, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Apparently, he was Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know why I said it like that. I, I will follow you wherever you go. He's enthusiastic. <laughs> Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, listen, foxes have holds, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus sees right to the heart of this first would-be disciple, and his proverbial north star is comfort. Comfort. Uh, what calibrates his compass to true north? It's Comfort. How do I get to comfort? How do we know that? We know that by the way Jesus responds to his request. Jesus is very simply, very lovingly telling him, listen, if comfort is the priority of your life, you're not going to make a very good Jesus follower. Okay? Uh, you're better off living with foxes or birds because at least they have a home. Okay? Me, I'm a wandering homeless rabbi. Okay? So if you're after comfort, don't follow me. If that's the priority of your life, things aren't going to go Well, Jesus isn't selling us comfort. He's giving us himself. Amen? Some people have tried to market Christianity, tried to market Jesus. If we can just make a good sales pitch, we'll get people to sign on. Is Jesus a very good marketer in this passage? (laughs) He seems like a really crappy evangelist. Can I just say that? Jesus, I'll follow you. If I heard that, I'll follow Jesus. Just tell me what to do. Well, here's the bridge illustration. Say this prayer. Sign you up. And uh, we'll get you serving in kids' ministry. Let's go, right? But Jesus sees the heart. He says, well, I'm not going to sell you anything. You need to know what you're signing up for, and it ain't always going to be easy. Right? Many market Christianity saying that, hey, if you commit your life to Jesus, he'll commit his life to making you healthy, wealthy, successful, comfortable. If you give your life to Christ, it'll always be up and to the right. He wants to give you comfort, pleasure. Your kids are going to turn out great. Uh, Your portfolio is going to triple. Uh, Everything's going to be smooth sailing. And let me just say to you very directly, i I got to nuance this carefully. I believe with every fiber of my being that life following Jesus is the best life, period. But I also need to say it's not the easiest. It's not the easiest. Jesus never said it would be comfortable. He never said it would be easy. Keep in mind, our Lord was a homeless guy who was betrayed by one of his best friends, beaten and murdered. Okay, that's the captain of our team. It's our boss. It's the guy we're following. I'll follow you anywhere you go. Jesus says, be careful. You need to know what you're signing up for, right? Uh, Very personally, I've been a Christian for 16 years. And uh, it's not that long of a time, but in my short tenure as a follower of Jesus, I can say it hasn't always been easy. It's always been the best. I don't regret that decision one ounce. Jesus is in every way better, but it always hasn't led, hasn't always led to a comfortable life. Uh, there's been seasons in my life where following Jesus uh, has made relationships uncomfortable, right? Where there's been a divergence in, in, in uh, relationships with people that were close to me because my ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. We're headed different directions. That's uncomfortable, right? Um, it, It's hard financially to honor God with your finances. That's not always an easy decision. You tithe and God's going to make you rich. He might not. We're not rich. (laughs) It still hurts to write a check every month, but he's shaping my... It's not comfortable, but it's always good, right? Um, I've had to say no to some stuff that I genuinely wanted to pursue, Because I had to wrestle, who is the Lord of my life? Is it my comfort, my pursuits, and my desires, or is it my allegiance to Jesus Christ? It's uncomfortable to say no to some things that you want to do. But what Jesus is saying is this. If behind garage door number one, what was it, Let's Make a Deal? You remember this show? Behind door number one is all your possessions, all your comforts, all your pleasures, everything that makes you feel secure and happy. And Behind door number two is Jesus and nothing else door number two is always better. It's always better. It's better every time. The heart of a Christian will always say, I would rather be broke, homeless, and uncomfortable, but with Jesus than have all the treasure of this world without him. That's the heart of a Christian. But here's the joy that comes with that. When you walk with Jesus, you'll learn that he is your comfort. You get more comfort being with Jesus than any earthly comfort. When you're with Jesus, you realize he is your treasure. I give up all of my treasure to be with him because he has become my treasure. When you walk with Jesus, you realize he is my security. He is an ever-present help in the times of trouble. He is the cleft rock. He is my hiding place. He is the shield about me. He is the one who hems me in, behind me, and before me. He is my security. And you'll say, I'll give up every fool's gold, false sense of home security, packing a gun, financial planning, security in this world, because my security is in Christ. Amen. Let me ask you, like this first man, is your true north security? Is it comfort? Are you pursuing Jesus because you perceive comfort, or are you pursuing Jesus because you love Jesus? That's the question. Number two. Let's take a look at the second man, verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. All right, can we be candid about this verse for a 2nd been reading my Bible for 16, 17 years, and Jesus doesn't sound very nice here, does he? Okay. Jesus loves the whole world. He might, but he's not nice to the whole world. Amen? Now, it seems like this guy's making a reasonable request. Jesus, I want to follow you. I just need to go to a funeral. I need to tie up some things. I want to bury my dad. Jesus, I read this verse back here. Said something about honor your mother and father. I just I want to do that, and uh, I'm not asking to go on a cruise first. Okay, I said, hey, let me just go, you know, to the boats for a couple weeks and spend, saying, let me bury my father, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus, what does he say? No, <laughs> let me. Fo- Can I bury my dad? No, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, ouch, Jesus, you're not a good salesman, and you're not very kind to. People trying to bury their dad. What's going on here? Uh, let me say this: uh, In all the commentators that I read studying for this, um, everyone asked this question, "Where in this passage does it say that this man's father is dead? Nowhere. If this guy's dad was dead, where would he be? He'd be with family. He'd be preparing for the funeral, right? As a good jewish man. He's he's ceremonial unclean if he's been with his father He wouldn't even be out in public. He would be unclean for at least a week The only time he'd go out into the public was for the burial. He's not out telling jesus. I want to follow you, right? Well, maybe his dad is sick and almost dead like he's gonna die tomorrow if his dad is sick and almost dead Where's this man gonna be? Taking care of his dad, right? What this man is asking for is not a one-day delay Hey, Jesus, you keep heading south. Let me go do the funeral thing, and I'm going to catch up tomorrow. He's not. He, what he's saying is, Jesus, someday I'll follow you. Year, five years, 10 years, maybe 15 years. Someday I'm going to follow you. But there's some stuff in the future that I need to take care of first. I need to bury my dad. I need to get my inheritance check Because, see, that's the way it worked in this culture. You don't get your financial security for the future until you bury your father, and so I got this commitment I need to take care of in the future to take care of my future. And see Jesus, I I, I still believe in you. I want to follow you, but but you understand I'm not in the life stage that's conducive to following Jesus. He's saying, let me uh, catch up down the road. Just remember me. And I want to say this: the first priority for this guy, what calibrates his true his compass to true north? It's the future. How do I create the best future for me? Jesus, you might be the best future, and I would like to follow you someday, right? Uh, But in the meantime, there's some things I need to accomplish and accommodate, but Jesus, you're number two. First, let me bury my dad. Then, number two, Jesus, uh, fall in line, and I'll follow you. We do this, don't we? This is so common. Jesus, I'll follow you someday. I'm just gonna put you on the back burner, though, until I'm done with high school, right? It's not that I don't believe in you. I still... my faith in you. I'm not going to renounce my faith, but I think you understand Jesus is not really hip to follow Jesus in high school. So just hold off. There's some things in my future I need to do. Just wait till I'm done with college. Everyone knows you don't follow. I still believe in you. I just need like five years to be drunk and naked and make irresponsible choices, right? Some credit card debt and maybe a disease and we'll get through that phase. Everyone does it and then I'll follow you, right? So once I get through my 30s and things get a little more established, once I have kids, isn't that the one? I'm going to do my thing for a while, but then when I have, we got to get them in Sunday school, we got to do, well, once the kids get older because they can't understand it. Jesus understands it's crazy with little kids. I got, now Jesus, there's some, I'm going to get around to you. I'm going to get around to you. Remember me, I'm going to be back, right? Don't we do this? Don't we do this? What does Jesus say? He says, listen, let the dead bury their own dead. It's a play on words. He's saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And I think Jesus is also making a comment about all of our pursuits that aren't rooted in the single pursuit of following Jesus. I think he's saying those are dead pursuits. If your number one priority is not following Jesus, whatever your number one priority is, is a dead pursuit. He's saying, let dead people do dead people's stuff. But as for you, you've been born again. You're alive in Christ. Pursue me. Preach the kingdom of God. That's where life is found. And let everything else fall in order behind that. Let the dead bury the dead. There is no life in your future except for Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the Life, whatever you're pursuing over and above Jesus will ultimately bring death. Doesn't matter how good it is. Number one priority is following Jesus. That is where life is found. Can some of you relate to this man? Are are you in that life stage? Waiting, holding out, saying, someday I'll be a Christian. Someday I'll take my faith seriously. Someday I'll follow Jesus. After I get this accomplished. After I get through school. Someday, someday, someday. Let me just encourage you, as God might speak to you through this verse, would you let that someday become this day? Would it become today? That you would say, man, every other pursuit is death, but Jesus, you have come that I might have life and have it to the fullest. You made a beeline to the cross for me. I surrender all. Jesus, want to follow you. Uh, this man could not surrender his future. Last person, we've got two more verses. Verse 61 says this. It says, yet another man said... I will follow you, Lord. But first, there's the word. uh, But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God." Uh, This man isn't willing to let go of his past. Again, it seems like this this dude is asking for a reasonable thing, right? It sounds like he just wants to go home, high five his buddies, let his cousins know, "Hey, I'm going to go follow this Jesus guy." Just wanted to tell you goodbye. Um, but Jesus looks right into this man's heart, and Jesus' response interprets the man's question. He doesn't just want to go home and high-five his buddies. What does Jesus say? He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's important we understand that. Uh, I learned last week there are no farmers in our church. When Jay- I, I know this now, so let me explain this, okay? Okay. Uh, we got Mark Miles. He's in from town, out of town. That's all we got this morning. The idea is this. In this, in this day, when someone wanted to plow a field, he would have a handheld apparatus, a, a big wooden implement. It would be pulled by some form of livestock, maybe an, auction, an, an oxen. I'm not a farmer either. One of those things. <laughs> One of them animals with horns, the big muscles, it would pull. If you're a farmer, you're going to plow your feet. You're going to walk behind it, okay? This is not a self-guided missile. You need to watch where you're going. Uh, in today's agricultural environment, I understand there's, there's whole tractors that cost more than my house that actually have global positioning system. You don't even need to steer them. I mean, you just sit on the memory foam seat when the air conditioner and read your iPad, and the, they actually steer themselves. You want to plow a straight line, you just dial it in, and it goes via satellite, not in this day, right? You got to pay attention. If you're not looking forward, when you're working the plow, you're going to plow yourself into a creek, Right? you're gonna plow a crooked line. What Jesus is saying, if you wanna plow a straight line, you can't keep looking over your shoulder. You need to look where you're going. You need to look where you're going. If you're looking over your shoulder, looking forward, looking over your shoulder, you're gonna ruin your field, you're gonna ruin your life. Amen? Jesus is saying you need to look where you're going. If you're double-minded, you keep looking back, you're not going to plow a straight line. And this man is saying, Jesus, I wanna follow you, but I, he knows in the heart of this man he's not willing to let go of his past. I want to follow you, but there's some just addictions I'm not really willing to surrender yet because I'm not going to give you access to that. But I'm going to follow you, and, but there's just some things I'm not really willing to let go of. And, 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 and we're going to look back. And when we look back, we tend to want to go back. And it says, listen, until you let go of the past, you're going to be plowing like this. And you're going to plow a crooked line. You know what I've learned is we tend to romanticize our past. Don't we tend to glorify the good old days maybe a little bit better than they were? We look over our shoulder, man, my partying days, that was fun, right? We remember the highlights, we forget the hangover. Yeah, remember hugging the toilet? That was a blast, wasn't it? Yeah, that was fantastic. My promiscuous days, that was fun. We tend to look back. Wasn't that that freedom? We tend to look back, we tend to want to go back. The rush of the affair, that was exciting. I felt alive then, right? Wasn't that great? The hours on the porn sites, that was freedom. Man, that wasn't all... We look back, we tend to want to go back. College days, man, that's where life was. Man, before I got married, I could go out any night of the week. Before kids, before Jesus. I had all this freedom. We tend to look back, we want to go back. Jesus says, if you keep looking back, you're never going to move forward, right? We look back, we romanticize sin and slavery, and we tend to think in hindsight that things were better, and no, they weren't. I was reading Exodus just last week, and the Israelites had been enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, They get out of slavery, into freedom. They've been out a matter of days, maybe weeks at the most, and already they're grumbling. We want to go back. What, to slavery? Yeah, at least we had food there. You were slaves, you idiots. You don't want to go back, but that's the way our memory works. Well, this is hard following Jesus. That was better. No, it wasn't. Here's what Jesus is saying. You look forward. Don't look back. Your best days are ahead of you. You put your hand on the plow. Uh, You don't ignore your past. Uh, You don't forget your past, but you don't look over your shoulder longingly romanticizing the past. He's telling this man, listen, if you go back, you're going to meet your old girlfriend. You're going to meet your old drinking buddies. They're going to say, you want to follow Jesus? Don't do that. And you're going to think, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. He's saying, don't go back, go forward. The best days are ahead of you. The best days are ahead of you. When you're following Jesus, the best days are ahead of you. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. Amen? He doesn't make mistakes. Uh, how many of you are living in the past? Man, I should have married that guy. Man, I should have chosen that career path. Man, I'm into this Jesus thing now, but man, wasn't that kind of fun? Here's what Jesus is saying. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. The best days are ahead of you. Let me end with this. Uh, the bad news is, in varying ways and degrees, all of us have already blown this. Amen? We, we're not single-minded. We're double-minded people. We want to walk with Jesus, but in varying ways and degrees, we have chosen comfort over Christ. We have chosen to live for a more ideal future instead of obedience to Jesus. We tend to reminisce about the past and to go back and to be double-minded and to plow crooked lines. But here's the reassuring good news of this passage. Listen to me. Jesus put his hand to the plow and he never looked back. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards the cross. He put his hands to the plow, and he never looked back, and he did it for you. Amen? The good news of this is Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and he made a beeline to the cross for you and for me, double-minded, insecure people like us. He did it right, and the question for us is will you trust him? Have you given your life to him? Have you had your day of salvation where you turn from your sins, repent of your ways, and say, Jesus, you have paid it all, I trust you. Would that day be this day for you, that you would set your face to Jesus who set his face to the cross for him? Would you just pray in your heart, Jesus, I trust you. Forgive me for seeking comfort, past, future, thousand other things. Jesus, you paid it all. I give my whole life to you additionally city light i want to press this in one more time before i pray i want us to be a church i'm going to say this every sunday that is wholeheartedly committed to setting our face on jesus that we would follow him that it wouldn't be about any other thing building an organization having something neat or sexy doing the right things but we would set our faces on jesus who set his face on jerusalem for us and that we would say jesus i surrender all We will be those Jesus people. We will, as your grace enables you, follow you wherever. Jesus, help me to plow a straight line. Help me to put my hand to the plow and to walk with Jesus until that day that I die. That we might sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus blows our mind that you came, that you might die. That you lived Perfectly, that you might suffer sacrificially, set your face to the cross, bleed and die for the forgiveness of my sins and the sins of the entire world. Uh, Father, we just want to confess we are people who love comfort, that love approval, that love security. Oh, but Jesus, might we find that you are our treasure, you are our comfort, you are our secure future, you are our redeemed past. And Jesus, we celebrate uh, that you didn't uh, romanticize the past before your public teaching and ministry before you were uh, um, receiving death threats before you came onto the public scene you let go of an idealized future where you would live to be an old man but you were single-minded set your face to the cross for me and, and for each one of us father in response would you help us to make a beeline towards you uh, god can i just confess uh, we are watered down disciples we tend to want to keep Jesus in our back pocket, Jesus on the back burner. God, would you help us to be wholehearted disciples, that you and you alone would be the orienting principle of all of our lives. Would you give us your grace to do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.